0: the goodness of God. You can never exhaust the power of God. And so when we're singing that song, really what we're saying is, Lord, we want you to do more of what only you can do in our lives. I hope and pray uh, that's that's your prayer this morning. That's what we need more than anything else, for God to do the work that only he can do in us and through us to accomplish his good will and purpose to make a difference in the world that we live in. Thank you so much worship team. Great job this morning. Uh, as always, we so appreciate all that you do leading us into the presence of God through praise and worship. Take your Bibles, please. Turn with me over to the book of 2 Timothy, chapter number 3. This morning, I want to preach to you on the subject of dangerous days, perilous times and principles from the word of God. Let's look together in 2 Timothy chapter 3. Starting in the, ver- in the first verse. The Bible says, verse number one. This know also that in the last days perilous times shall come. For men shall be lovers of their own selves. Covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful and holy, without natural affle- affection. Truth breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce. Despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God. Having a form of godliness, watch this now, but denying the power thereof. I mean, we can have a religious form, but nothing can truly be changed. Lives can't be changed. Listen, the work can't be done effectively simply through a religious practice. What we need is the power of God. What we desire is the power of God. What we got to have if the work's going to get done and get done right is God at work in the hearts and lives of people. Uh, Paul warned Timothy about a day coming when people would have a religious form but deny the power that only God can bring to change hearts, to change lives, to do His work. Verse 6 says, or excuse me, the last of verse 5 says, "...from such like these..." Turn away. Get away from them. Verse 6 tells us, For this sort are they which creep into houses and lead captive silly women laden with sins, led away with diverse lust, ever learning and never able to keep to the knowledge of the truth or come to the knowledge of the truth. Now as Jonas and Jambres withstood Moses, so do these also resist the truth, men of corrupt minds, reprobates, concerning the faith. But they shall proceed no further. For their folly shall be manifest unto all men as theirs was also. But thou hast fully known my doctrine. He said, you've known my manner of life, the purpose of my faith, the long-suffering charity and patience, persecutions, afflictions, which came unto me at Antioch, at Iconium, and at Lystra, which persecutions I endured, but out of them all the Lord delivered me. Isn't that awesome? Paul said, I've been persecuted. I've suffered for the cause of Christ. But throughout all these sufferings, God was still with me, and he delivered me from them all. I love that. He says, verse 12, yea, and all that will live godly in Christ, Jesus shall suffer persecution. He tells us in verse 13, but evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. But continue thou, In the things which thou hast learned and hast been assured of, knowing of whom thou hast learned them. And that from a child that thou hast known the holy scriptures, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation, through faith is in Christ Jesus. All scripture is given by inspiration of God. If you believe it, say amen. Let me tell you what verse 16 is actually saying. It's saying that God's word is real. If you believe God's word is real, he is absolute truth for us today, say amen. But it also means that God's Word is relevant. It says it's inspired by God for the purpose of doing three things. It is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, excuse me, four things, and for instruction in righteousness. Not only is God's God's Word His real, absolute truth to you, it's relevant for your life this morning. You can and you should take the Word of God and apply it unto yourself. That's what causes us to be what God wants us to be application of God's truth by God's power. Then he says, verse 17, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. Let's pray together. Father, we love you. We're so thankful for who you are, for what you've done. We need you today. Lord, I can do nothing without you and I want to do nothing without you. I relinquish my will to your will, God, and I'm asking now that you move me out of the way and use me for your honor and your glory. I'm praying that you would work on me, work in me, and work through me. Speak to me, Lord. Speak through me. Use me for your honor and your glory. I need you today. We need you today. Speak to us, Lord. We're ready to listen. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Dangerous days, perilous times and principles of the Word of God. I believe with everything in me, we are living in these dangerous days. The Apostle Paul says something to whom he calls his young son in the faith, Timothy, in verse number one that I want you to take note of. It says, first of all, this know also that in the last days, he talks to him about two subjects in verse number one, the last days, and then he says perilous times. So we need to answer the question, what are these last days? that Paul speaks of, what are these perilous times? Well, the last days, according to Hebrews chapter number one verses one and verse number two, these last days began when Jesus started his earthly ministry here on earth. And it will will continue these last days that the Bible speaks of in the New Testament until Jesus comes back in his second advent, at his second coming. Those are the last days. It's the last days in which God is fulfilling his purpose, and his plan, and his people, the church. That's the last days that are being spoken of. But then he makes another distinction. He said, in the last of these last days, we're going to have some perilous times. There's going to be some perilous times that shall come upon the earth. What does the word perilous mean? The word perilous itself means dangerous, hard to deal with, Or savage times. The Greek word that is used right here in 2 Timothy chapter 3 is only used one other time throughout the New Testament. It's in Matthew chapter 8 and verse number 28. You may remember when Jesus got off the boat from the Sea of Galilee at the country of the Gadarenes, the Bible says there were two demoniacs that met him there on the shore of the sea of Galilee and the word used to describe them is the same Greek word used in second Timothy chapter 3 only in Matthew 8:28 that word is actually translated exceeding fears it says that these two demoniacs that met Jesus they were exceedingly Fierce. Now I can't think of a better way to describe the day in which we live in. We are living in those dangerous, hard to deal with, savage times that are exceedingly fierce. I believe we are living in those perilous times in the last days that Paul speaks of to Timothy here in 2 Timothy chapter number 3. I think that that describes the world we're living in right now perfectly. Let me just run down for you a list of the headlines of 2020 so far. Um, I, I was, And that's what I did this week. I encourage you to do the same thing. Just Google top headlines of 2020. And these are just some of the things that popped up. And some of these you might remember. Some of them I've actually forgotten about. There's been so much going on. I'd forgotten about a lot of what had actually happened. January of 2020, brush fires tore through Australia, devastating much of the country. You may remember that. There was a, much of Australia was burned to a crisp. Millions upon millions of dollars were lost, families, homes were lost, lives were lost. All over um, Australia, February of 2020, the beginning of February, the outbreak of coronavirus was declared a pandemic. You remember that? Started in China and then spread to the rest of the world. And since then, over 200,000 people have died, and that number continues to climb. Over 100,000 just in the United States of America. February 14th of 2020, North Africa was invaded by locusts. Do you remember that? I forgot about that one but it certainly happened. It was they they were invaded on a scale like never seen before. The crops in Kenya, Ethiopia, Uganda, Tanzania were completely destroyed leaving millions without enough food to eat. And also we remember since the last of May 1st of June that there have been over 21 major cities have had riots in them since that time. Civil unrest is at an all-time high in this nation and across the world. Right now, as we're having this service this morning, there's a six-block radius in Seattle, Washington that is being controlled by left-wing liberals that are doing nothing but promoting lawlessness. It's amazing. I never thought we would see that Uh, in a nation of laws like we have. But that's what we're seeing. That's the world we live in. I was reading just this past week also about some of the physical things uh, that's happened in the world. 76 significant earthquakes have happened since January Uh, of 2020 up until now. And we're only in July. I mean, it's just getting started, really. We're just halfway over this thing. And, And so I want you to see something that Jesus said because we shouldn't really be surprised that any of this is happening. As a matter of fact, Jesus said that's exactly what was going to happen. Let me read to you from Matthew chapter number 24 and verse number 12 in the amplified version of the Word of God. Listen what this tells us. Man, this spoke to my heart when I saw it. Matthew 24, verse 12, and the love of the great body of people will grow cold, and because of this, there will be multiplied, multiplied lawlessness and iniquity. You turn on your television today, I've challenged you to do so, and I can promise you, you're going to see lawlessness and iniquity. Everywhere, all over this country and All over the world. Let me share something with you that Jesus said. Matthew chapter number 24, verse number 7. And nation shall rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom, and there shall be famines because of the um, invasion of locusts in northern Africa. Many people today are starving. And pestilence. We know that pestilence is the Bible word for pandemic. So we're certainly seeing that. And earthquakes. Like I said, there's been 71 significant earthquakes all over the world since January of 2020. Now what you said, brother, what are you trying to say? Do you mean that you believe we are coming close to these last days? No, brothers and sisters, I believe we're in the last days. I believe we're in these perilous times. Let me tell you why I say that. When you can take the Word of God and your newspaper and put them side by side and see how the current events that we're seeing in our world is a complete fulfillment of the Scriptures and the Word of God that speak of the last days, I think it's a no-brainer. We're certainly in the last days, and I believe us to be in perilous times, these dangerous days, these exceedingly fierce days that Paul is speaking of to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter number 3. Now let me ask you, as the people of God, what are we going to do about it? Are we going to huddle up in our houses? Are we going to quit living life? Are we going to quit being lots in the darkness? Let me ask you something. Jesus said that now we are the light of the world. The Bible says the same power that raised up Jesus now dwells in me. It raises me up to walk in the newness of life. The Bible says, now I am to be the light in this dark place. When does light shine the brightest? In the dark, when it's the darkest. If there's ever been a time that we as the people of God need to stand up and be the people of God by the power of God, it's right now. If there's ever been a time that we need to stay on our face praying for what we're seeing going on around us, it's right now. If there's ever been a time that we need to walk out our faith in the lives that we live daily, it's right now. If there's ever been a time I need to be the father God's called me to be to my kids, it's right now. If there's ever been a time I need to be the husband God's called me to be to my wife, it's right now. If there's ever been a time I need to be the pastor that preaches faithfully the Word of God, being instant, in season, and out of season, it's right now. If there's ever been a time I need to be the witness God's called me to be, To a lost and dying world, it's right now because I believe the time is drawing nigh. I believe we're on the threshold of the coming of Christ. And and folks, I've I've got some bad news and good news. Which one do you want first? All right, (laughs) great, buddy. Thank you. Let me give you the good news. The good news is this we have the blessed hope of eternal life as believers. This world is not my home. we used to sing about it in the old hymn song. This world is not my home, I'm just a passing through. My treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue. The angels beckon me from heaven's golden shore. I just can't feel at home in this world anymore. Anybody else feel like that? I don't feel at home here. I'm ready for the home that I've been promised. We have something to look forward to because we have hope in Christ as a believer. This must not be on say City. We have hope in Christ as a believer. Amen. The eternal hope of glory. That's the good news. But let me give you the bad news. The bad news is this world's not going to get any better. This is just the beginning of perilous times. I'm not saying we can't make things better in our sphere of influence. We certainly can. But on a grand scale, this world is headed for destruction. I remember something that Dr. Junior Hill said years ago that blessed my soul. He's a great preacher of the Word of God. He is an evangelist that goes all over the country and all over the world preaching the gospel. One of my favorite preachers, he said that he was in a revival meeting in North Carolina preaching what the Lord had laid on his heart. And after the service, the church that he was preaching at had rented him a hotel room to stay in. They got over to the hotel room and said he walks in. And um, when he he got in there, he noticed over in the corner that there was a great big burn on one of the chairs there. Someone had left a cigarette or a cigar or something in that chair and it had burned out a circle about a foot uh, in diameter all in the seat of that chair. And he said, while he was in that room that night, he didn't call the local upholstery shop and call them to come over and fix that chair. He said, the reason I didn't do that is because I knew I wouldn't stay in there forever. I was just there for a little while. Folks, let me tell you something. We don't need to be more concerned about fixing the problems in this world than we are about taking people with us to the world we've been promised. Because this world is failing and falling away. It's headed for destruction. Our mission, my goal, your goal as a believer, we should be doing everything we can to carry men, women, boys, and girls with us to our heavenly home because of a personal relationship with Christ. That's our mission. That's our goal. We're only here for a little while. Sometimes it's hard for us to think in terms of eternity because we've got a beginning and we've got an end. But our beginning and our end, this short life that we have upon this earth, just don't last long. We have an eternity to look forward to. Now, we're not going to huddle in our houses. We're not going to quit. We're not going to give up. We're not going to live afraid of everything and everybody. Let me tell you what we're going to do. We're going to walk in the power of God. We're going to trust in Jesus. We're going to keep on keeping on. We ain't going to shut up. We ain't going to let up till God calls us up to our heavenly home. We've still got a mission. We've still got a purpose. We've still got a goal to achieve. Can't quit. There's three things that I want you to see here that Paul gives us that uh, is a blessing to me. I hope it's a blessing to you. First of all, he commands us to turn from that which is wicked. Turn from that which is wicked. Look at what you see going on around you. Look at the evidence in people's lives and turn from that or those who are wicked. That's what he says. Look at verse five. He says, having a form of godliness, but denying the power of it from such, Turn away. Now, how many of you understand I'm not against lost people? I'm not. It's not us and them. I'm trying to cause them to become one of us. I understand that except by the grace of God, I'm going to be doing what they're doing. I'm not against the drunkard. I'm not against the drug addict. Listen, I'm not against the adulterer. I'm not against the fornicator. I'm not against any of those people. Let me tell you why. Except by the grace of God, there go I. So so I'm not against them. As, As a matter of fact, we're called to love all people. The Apostle Paul says, as you have therefore opportunity, do good unto all men, especially to those of the household of faith. Amen. (laughs) So I want to share with them the, the, the same Jesus who's changed my life. I want to share with them the same Jesus who gave me peace and purpose and, listen, joy that's unspeakable and full of glory. I want to share with them how they can receive forgiveness for their sin and be set free of the guilt and shame that they're living in. But now, I want to make something very clear to you. Even though we're called to witness to with our lips and with our lives, we're called to witness to a lost and dying world, we're not called to hobnob with a lost and dying world, to rub shoulders with a lost and dying world, to hang out and be the same as a lost and dying world. Let me tell you why, because we are twice-born people in a once-born world. Our citizenship is in heaven. We're heavenly citizens. We should be, we must be, if we're going to be effective, we've got to be walking by the power of God. So Paul says, when you see that which is wicked, turn away. Get away from it. That's not how you live. That's not what God saved you for. And then he begins describing what that looks like in verses 3, 4, and 5. He says, excuse me, 2, 3, 4, and 5. He says in verse number 2, first of all, that men shall be lovers of them own selves. You see that? What we see in 2, 3, 4, and 5, I really see these verses characterized by love. And that just makes sense to me because I can tell you what a man loves by how he lives. Whatever you love is going to infect effect how you live amen and the bible says that men will be lovers of themselves, and it says they'll be covetous or lovers of money but then he says down in the bottom of uh of verse number four they'll be lovers of pleasures more than lovers of god are you seeing that Now, that's where we find ourselves in the world today. People who have not loved God or don't love God, but love self, love money, and love pleasure. And when you love self, you love money, and you love pleasure, then all the characteristics that he lists here will certainly be true in your life. Now, let let me give you some truth here that's really changed me, and I hope it changes you. Let me tell you what uh, the, the, uh, the universe has, what it encompasses, what is all in the universe. We have God, we have people, and we have things. I mean, when you boil it all down to the lowest common and usworthy what we got. we've got God in the universe, we got people, and we got things. Let me tell you what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches that we need to love God, worship God, love people, And use things. If you agree with that, say amen. Matter of fact, when Jesus was asked by the religious leaders of his day, what was the greatest law in all the law, he says that uh, to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. We are called to love God enough to worship him. We are called to love people. And then as God blesses us with things, we are to use them for God's honor and glory. Amen. Let me tell you where we... We we find ourselves many times though, people without Jesus, people still lost and undone, they find themselves with a miserable life. Let me give you the recipe for a miserable life. When you love yourself, you'll begin to worship yourself. When you worship yourself, let me tell you what'll happen. You'll start loving your things you'll ignore God and you'll use people. Worshiping self, ignoring God, loving things, using people is a recipe for a miserable, fruitless, purposeless life. Let me tell you why we've got psychiatric hospitals filled to capacity today. Because they're living miserable lives for the most part. Y- let me tell you why we've got prisons filled to capacity. Because people, are, they don't know what, it, what, what, the, what the truth is. They, they're, they're living those miserable lives. They've loved self, ignored God, used people, loved things. Dr. David Jeremiah says something that I love. He says, if you want to know what joy really means, how you really get joy, he says, Jesus first, others second, and yourself last. (laughs) I agree with that completely. That makes all the difference. Makes all the difference. But when you are lovers of your own self, when you are lovers of money, when you are lovers of pleasure, then all these things are going to be true. And he he makes a list of them for us. First of all, he says you're going to be proud. Now, how many of you believe this morning that we ought to love what God loves? We we, we should as God's people, as Christians. We should love what God loves. But let me tell you something else. We ought to hate what God hates. God gives us a list of the things he hates. Go go to Proverbs chapter 6 with me, brother, and put there on the screen 16 through 19. Watch this. The writer of the book of Proverbs gives us some timely wisdom that we need to take and apply to our lives. He says, these things doth the Lord hate, yea, seven, are an abomination to him, a proud look. Now, he, he gives that first. He says, the first thing God hates is a proud look. An arrogant, condescending look, God hates that. Have you ever heard the saying that the eyes are the window to the soul? I believe that, I really do. And so what I think God is saying here to all of us, God hates a proud look because a proud look reveals a proud heart. And from a proud heart spews all this... <coughs> excuse, golly, I'm sorry. Give me some... Ellie Grace, give me some water in that, in that bottle, baby. Is there any in that? A proud look, a lying tongue, and hands that shed innocent blood. It goes on to say, watch... A heart that deviseth wicked imaginations, feet that are swift, running to mischief. Verse 19, a false witness that speaketh lies, and he that soweth discord among the brethren. So I think what the Bible is telling us there is that from that proud heart, all this other stuff comes. God hates a proud heart, a proud spirit, a proud look that reveals all that. God hates it. When you become proud, look, look what the Bible tells us in 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse number, number 2. It says you'll be a boaster. Let me ask you, you might like being around a boaster, a braggart. Somebody's always talking about what they can do and what they've done. Some, some people ask, well, I get it, man. I get, you think you're all that. You, listen, lady, I think you think you're all I get it. I've got it. We don't have to go any further with this. You ever feel like that? That's what a proud spirit does. It it turns us into boasters, building ourselves up. It turns us into blasphemers, the Bible says. Why? Because if, if, if you're God in your universe, you don't need God. So you turn against God. You blaspheme God, do you see it? He goes on and says disobedient to parents. Now listen, when when you become a lover of self and a lover of money and a lover of pleasures rather than a lover of God, it's going to lead to breakdown in the family. And he describes what that looks like. He says, first of all, they'll be disobedient to parents. If there's ever been a time we're seeing that in, we see it in these perilous times, these dangerous days that we're living. No respect for the mother and father that's loved them and raised them. No respect for all that mom and dad does or has done. It's no longer about respecting mom and dad. It's just what I can get from mom and dad. and That's terrible. The Bible says they'll be unthankful, unholy, disobedient to parents. They'll be without natural affection. Let me tell you about a story I read just last week. It broke my heart and in order to break yours too. In the state of Texas, there was a mother and father and son who had devised a plan to go and kill the wife of the son, the daughter-in-law of the parents, because they thought she had an insurance claim on herself. So they are going to kill her. In planning all of that, they found out that she didn't have an insurance claim. They, 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 they found out that was, that was a lie. That wasn't right. So guess what they did? The mother and father then killed the son because they knew he had insurance on his life. Let me tell you why. They love money. Money's not a bad thing. Money is a useful tool but a terrible God. Money can be used for a lot of good stuff. Should be used for a lot of good stuff. It is a great tool, but a terrible God. They, these people love money to the point. They were so covetous. It led to a loss of natural affection. It's just natural that a mother and father would love their son. But do you see how that where this leads? Do you see how this infects and effects the home? there would be a loss of natural affection I read a story uh, two weeks ago about a, uh, a man in New York City that was ran over at a very busy intersection he was ran over once and they thought probably the first impact killed him the, the, the street was so busy when he fell nobody stopped This man was ran over seven more times before anybody finally stopped and seen what was going on. How callous do you have to be to run over a human being laying in the road and never stop? We're living in a time when people are without natural affection. We live in dangerous days. Perilous times. It says that they will be, uh, without natural affection, they'll be truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent, without self-control. They'll be fierce, despisers of those that are good. Now, we're seeing here in verse number uh, three that it moves from the home when people are lovers of self, lovers of money, and lovers of pleasure. There's destruction in the home, but then it leads to destruction in in society. People will be truce breakers. You, You can't, a man's word is no longer any good. That people don't do what they say they're going to do. At the workplace, hey, in in any kind of agreement that you make, in any kind of covenant that you enter into, do you realize right now 52% of marriages in this country fail? 52%. Breaking the marriage covenant is breaking a truce. We see it in the world we live in, all around us. We see evidence of these perilous times, these dangerous days. It says false accusers, incontinent, fierce, despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God. Finally, we go from a breakdown in the home, and that leads to a breakdown in society. But I'm going to tell you something else. It certainly leads to a breakdown in the church. How many of you understand the home is the foundation for the nation? If Satan can attack the home, if, if men can become lovers of themselves rather than lovers of God and not be what God wants in the home, if women can become lovers of themselves and not be what God wants in the home, it breaks down that family unit, which breaks down society and certainly there's a breakdown in the church and it says there'll come a time when, um, verse number five, they'll have a form of godliness, but there'll be no power in it. They'll just be going through the motions. There's no longer people standing for truth and holiness and and what God says. I read a a study done by Barna Research just a few uh, weeks ago, and it was talking about how that in in the modern evangelical church, it was only 73% of the people that were were, uh, used for this this survey that were asked, 73% believed in the absolute standard of truth, the word of God. That's in the evangelical church. And we wonder why in the world we're in the shape we're in. Well, if people don't believe God's word to be true, why would they live by it? If they don't live by it, how can they please God? If they don't please God, then guess what? Our world ends up in shambles, and that's where we find ourselves. There's been a breakdown in the church greatly. And it's time as the people of God, we start holding to God's precious absolute truth. There's an old hymn song that says, we stand on the promises and when we do, we cannot fail. When we stand on the promise, we listen listen every moment to the precious spirit's call. Trusting in our Savior as our all in all, we stand on the promise of the Word of God. I don't know about you. I can't speak for you. You can't speak for me. We can only speak for ourselves. But I want to be like Joshua when Joshua said, As for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. Oh, listen to me, Mount Zion. Listen to me, folks. Let's serve Jesus. It makes all the difference. It says there'll be lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God. While we're on this subject, let's just talk about it. How many of you know Sunday has become fun day? Sunday is no longer about the worship of God, but the worship of self and activities and everything else. People worship their stuff on Sunday rather than the Savior. And that's a shame. The Bible says in Hebrews 10.25 that we should not forsake, put that on the screen, we should not forsake the assembling of ourselves together for a reason. Watch this, Hebrews 10.25. Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. So what's he saying there? He said, and You're seeing these last days unfolding. You're seeing these dangerous days, these perilous times, these exceedingly fierce days. And as you see them and you see that day of the Lord approaching, don't forsake the assembling. I can't stress to you how important it is you keep your family under the preaching and teaching of the Word of God. I can't stress to you how important it is that you be under the teaching of what God's Word says. I can't stress to you the importance of receiving the encouragement and the edifying that you receive inside the body of Christ. We must do that. Oh, but Brother Israel, I mean, we've got this pandemic going on. I get all that. Listen to me. I understand and realize fully that there are some people with existing conditions, pre-existing conditions that, that keep them from being in service. I get that. I understand people who are at high risk for this virus. I agree with them staying home. That's why we're still putting it out over the airways. That's why we're still on the internet. I get all that. But what I don't understand is, It's people who want to use the excuse of the pandemic to feel better about not doing what they know they should do. That bothers me. I mean, if you don't think you can come to church and worship God, I don't think you need to be going to Walmart. Stay out of Walmart. Stay out of the hardware store. Hey, don't go to work. If you don't think you can meet with a group of people and be safe, then why are you doing all this other stuff but you can't come to church? Are you kidding me? And we wonder why the church has lost its power. We wonder why nobody looks to us for the answers. We wonder why in a lot of ways we become a laughing stock in this society. I'll tell you why. Because we're not standing for the truth. We're loving pleasures more than God. Wake up! We must! The day is approaching. God's given us time to preach this gospel. He's been long-suffering. He's wanting people to be saved. It's up to us to go out and preach the truth. Live the truth. Be the truth. Be the light in this dark place because it's dark right now. My goodness, let's make a stand. Come on. We got to. We got to. What are we going to do? We're going to turn away from that which is wicked. He says, don't have anything to do with that. Stay away from it. But then, then let me tell you what we must do. We must follow that which is true Paul says in verse number 10 but thou hast fully known my doctrine and my manner of life Paul says first of all there's a lot of tests here that you need to take about whether or not you're following that which is true Paul says if you want to follow that which is true look look at my life what's happened with me he says first of all um, you know my doctrine You know that my testimony is that the power of God has made a difference in my life. Not only have I testified to that, but you're seeing it lived out in my manner of life. Do you see that? What Paul is saying is I'm practicing what I preach. Folks, don't follow someone that don't practice what they preach. Don't be in a church where it's not practiced what you preach. It's it's important. He goes on and says this. He says, uh, you also know my purpose His purpose was to glorify God in everything that he's doing. And then he he said, you know that I'm willing to suffer for the cause of Christ. He says there in verse number 11, persecutions, afflictions, which came unto me at Antioch, at Iconium, and at Lystra. Now, if you go back and read in the book of Acts what happened with Paul at uh, Iconium, Lystra, you're, you're going to see... That he was actually stoned. I believe he was stoned to death. I believe it was at that time that his spirit actually left his body and went up to the third heaven, that which he describes in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. I think that's when it happens. So he was stoned, I believe, to death. God raised him back up so that he might go out and be what God had called him to be, to fulfill the purpose God had saved him and called him to fulfill. And so Paul says, You've seen that I'm willing to suffer persecution. And let me say something to you folks. We all should be. Don't think that if you live for the child, as a child of God, if you live by the power of God, that a lost and dying world is going to be okay with that because they're not. They're not. You may be ostracized. That's alright. You with Jesus, you're always in the minority. You and Jesus. Just stick with Him. Look to Him. Love Him. Serve Him. Listen to Him. Be led by Him. Just stick with Jesus. You may be ridiculed, mocked, laughed at. That's all right. You may be hated. Matter of fact, Jesus said you will be. If they hated me, they'll hate you also. Not because of who you are, but because of whose you are. Stick with Jesus. Stick with Jesus. Paul said, follow me because I've been the one who's living out the purpose of glorifying God. I'm practicing what I preach. Paul said, I'm the one that was willing to suffer persecution. So uh, what we need to glean from this scripture is him saying, Turn from that which is wicked, follow that which is true, and then he says something else. We need to be trained up by the Word of God. Look down, verse number 15, and that from a child, he says to Timothy, thou hast known the holy scriptures which are able to make thee wise unto the salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. All scripture is given by inspiration of God, and it's profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction and for instruction in righteousness, for the purpose that we might become what God wants, what God wants. Verse number 17, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. Let me ask you this. Anybody in here perfect? No, me neither. My goodness, I've still got a lot of growing room. And if you can still do this, do this. If you can do that, you've got some growing room too. As long as you're still here, we're all still growing. And we grow by and through. The precious word of God as we apply it unto ourselves by God's power. So Paul says, turn from that which is wicked. Follow that which is good. Be trained by the word of God. So that we might be able to overcome in these dangerous days, these perilous times, we can overcome by the principles of the word of God. If you believe it this morning, say amen. I don't know what God's spoken to your heart. I don't know what God's done in this time with you. Maybe you're here this morning and you've never yet been born again. My goodness, what are you waiting on? I believe with everything in me, we are in the last of the last days. We are in these perilous times that we've been speaking of. I believe we're on the threshold of the coming of Christ. Why would you wait any longer to accept Jesus? Why would you wait any longer to trust in Christ, for he alone can save? Why would you keep rejecting the fact that Jesus paid for your sin debt? Don't do it. Today, trust him. Trust him. Only trust him. He can save you. He will save you. If you're here today and you are a child of God, maybe you want to come pray for a lost Loved one, maybe you will come pray for the dangerous day in which we live. Maybe you will come come pray for our nation. These altars are always open. As a matter of fact, that's one thing that we're certainly going to do at the end of this service. The Bible says that we're to pray for those who are in authority over us. So that we might lead quiet and peaceable lives unto all godliness. So at the end of this service, we're all going to join together and pray. For all that's going on right now. Because I believe when God's people pray, the power of God is released upon our situation. So we're going to choose to pray this morning. If you need the Lord in any way, I'm going to ask you to come. Don't wait. Don't wait. This invitation is for you. God loves you today. You can overcome these perilous times. But you've got to overcome through the power of God. That can be made real to you this morning. If you need Jesus in any way, you come. Don't wait. Everybody stand together. Hold up up right there, brother. Good. Did you hear that first line? Before any of this ever happened, God knew. Nothing that's going on in this world is a surprise to him. Don't you think for a minute that God is right now sitting on his throne, chewing his fingernails to the bone, worried about what's happening in this world. Every bit of this is according to his plan and his purpose. Every bit of it. He's sovereign. He's in control. He can do what he wants, when he wants, with whom he wants, how he wants. Now listen to me. Listen to me very plainly. That means as a child of God, I don't have to fear. I don't have to worry. Let me tell you why. God's got it. He's got it. Now, if you're not a child of God, I'd be scared to death. I don't know how you're making it. I don't know how you're functioning. I really don't in the world that we're living in. had a pastor friend of mine say to me one time, he said, Brother Israel, um, I just don't know how people who don't know Jesus make it another brother that was sitting with us at a breakfast table said how do you know they are <laughs> that's pretty good see a lot of times we put up a front like we got it all figured out and we, got, we know what's going on and we got it when on the inside we're broken and we're troubled and we're fearful and we're lost you know what God says I see the inside and I can fix it I know where you're at and I can help you. <laughs> I am able to do exceedingly abundantly above all you can ask or think. That's what God says. But God, he, listen to me, folks. He respects your will. If you choose to reject Him, that's your problem. God's done everything necessary for you to be made right if you want to be made right. And today, by the power of God, you can be. That's the message of the gospel. God's done everything necessary. If you'll trust by faith, it can be made real to you. Go ahead, brother.